Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies. My super sweet guest today, sorry for the dad joke and pun, is Rob Mahalik, and he's with Ben and Jerry's. Rob is the social mission special projects director. He spent a total of about 30 years with the company in two different stints. His first stint was in PR and communications. He took a little bit of a break, but stayed very close to the company as a contractor. And since then, he's been spending most of his time on helping to bring the social mission of this amazing company to life. So as many of you know, Ben & Jerry's is the OG when it comes to brands making the world a much better place. It received a B Corp certification in 2012, which recognizes the company's prioritization of social corporate responsibility being at the core of everything that it does. Making social impact is the core mission of the company, including the Ben & Jerry's Foundation, which empowers employees to engage in philanthropic and social change work, give back to local Vermont communities, and also support grassroots activism for social and environmental justice around the country. Rob Mihalik, welcome to Brand on Purpose. It's great to be here, Aaron. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. It's great to have someone who spent as many years with one of my favorite brands. And what I also love is that you've been in PR and communications, social purpose as well. You are also in the media industry as a news director for local and Vermont public television before joining Ben and Jerry. So you've got an amazing background that I'd like to delve into as well. But let's just start with what you actually do and what you've been doing at Ben & Jerry's as the Social Mission Special Projects Director. I've played a variety of roles in Social Mission when I came back to Ben & Jerry's in 2006 after I was away for a few years. And in the early part of that stint, what we were doing was really kind of rebuilding the vigor of the social mission. For Ben and Jerry's, we have this three-part mission statement, which actually a lot of companies have now, but we were one of the forerunners of actually putting a social purpose alongside the product purpose and the economic purpose. And when I came back in 2006, one of the things that we were looking at was how to kind of get that back into the balance that, that we envisioned, where they're really working alongside of each other and holding up the principles of what we're trying to create with our business model, which is actually this concept. We have this concept of linked prosperity that we've talked about since 1988, when our leadership, Ben and Jerry and the board of directors back then came up with this this whole mission statement. How can we run a business model that actually creates an equitable sense of prosperity throughout the entire value chain from all the agricultural producers growing sugar, cocoa, vanilla, milking the cows, and all of the stuff that we put into our ice cream, cherries, berries, nuts. How can we create a sense of equitable prosperity all the way through the value chain to the people who are actually making the ice cream and then eventually you know, selling the ice cream? So my role in social mission right now is to take a look at a lot of our initiatives and see if we can get better outcomes. So just just an example, we we purchase fair trade certified ingredients. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm I'm helping our values led sourcing manager here who takes all of our values driven initiatives and tries to get them manifested within our purchasing of ingredients, which is a powerful thing. We use a lot of money purchasing ingredients. And if we can purchase ingredients in a way that actually lifts up 
the livelihoods of those smallholder agricultural producers in these supply chains around the world, that's what we want to accomplish. And so part of the way we're doing that is by purchasing fair trade certified ingredients for sugar, cocoa, banana, vanilla, coffee, almonds. And what I'm doing as special projects director is I'm looking at that fair trade supply chain and I'm trying to see if we can get better outcomes and really achieve what we're trying to achieve. So that's just one project. And what I do is as the company identifies priorities that we're trying to accomplish within our social mission initiatives, I come in as kind of like I would call myself a village elder and try to apply the experience and the wherewithal that I can bring to a particular subject and see if we can just uh, elevate the outcomes that we're uh, looking for within, within that particular initiative. And social mission, I guess, can be characterized in two ways. It's how you run your business, but it's also what you stand for. And obviously, how you run your business is what you stand for. But there are also issues around, let's say, LGBTQ rights and racial justice and climate justice and things like that and sustainability that might not impact your business directly, but it's still something that you care about. How do you pick those issues and then how do you integrate that into the business? That's a great question. And, you know, as we were growing and maturing back in the day, as they would say with air quotes around that, we would kind of look at a lot of different social, economic and environmental justice issues. And in in some ways, we might have been spread a little thin. But as we started to grow as a company, we started to look at, well, where are the primary areas of impact? And so we would look at ourselves and we'd say, look, we're an agribusiness. So agriculture is an area that we want to look at. And in agriculture, at various stages of agriculture and, and even around the world today, there can be different issues of exploitation economically or subjugation, or there could be issues of ecosystem denigration. And so what we do is we try to look at our business and those issues in the world and how those issues affect our business and how we can create change. And let me just use an example of climate change. Climate change is affecting agriculture around the world. And so what we're trying to do is to work in these supply chains and figure out how can we work with stakeholders to help these agricultural producers adapt to climate change. If it's in cocoa, again, we work with fair trade certified cocoa producers, but we work directly to engage with specific cooperatives. And uh, we work with three cooperatives in Cote d'Ivoire. And what we're doing is we work with other experts that understand what the climate is doing to this ecosystem where the cocoa is grown and what interventions can be put in place to actually help the producers make the kind of accommodations and adaptations that they need with climate change. So we work with multiple stakeholders to to accomplish this whole goal of really, when we say social mission, we're talking about social, economic, and environmental aspects of our business, really the purpose-driven side of it. Back when we were coining these different concepts and phrases. We just we just called it a social mission that needed to work alongside the economic mission, which was very common for a business, and then the product mission. What do you think now of all these companies that are, and some are very legitimate, and many have been on this podcast, but 
I think we've jumped the shark a little bit on purpose and, and it's almost the, we're at this moment now where there are a lot of brands that are purpose washing. And my position on it is even if companies are doing the right thing for the wrong reason, I'll take it because they're doing the right thing and they're making an impact. But there needs to be a reckoning at some point where these companies are doing the right thing because they believe they're doing the right thing and it's part and core to their business. You have different degrees of companies that are trying to do good. And at one end of that, you'd find kind of a shallow, the shallow end of the pool. And then on the other end, you're going to find the deep end. And, and some are way out in the ocean uh, with all sails up. I think where people can find companies that are truly committed and have a lot of credibility is within the B Corp movement. So these are these are companies that are certified benefit corporations that have gone through an assessment by a nonprofit organization by the name of B-Lab, and that set up this assessment. And so once a company has taken the assessment and, and scores the, the minimum 80 points within that assessment, they can become a certified B Corp. And what that means is that you know if you see the certification, the B Corp certification on a company's either packaging or website or social media or however they might communicate that, you know the company's actually achieved really high standards in terms of social, economic, and environmental performance. And so the B Corp movement is really growing. It's starting to catch on around the world. It started mainly in the U.S., but now it's in Europe, South America, Australia. It's growing around the world. And, And that's one way people can be confident that a company is really doing what it says it's doing. Were you the one at Ben and Jerry's that led the effort to become a certified B Corp? Yes, I was. Two of the co-founders, there there are three uh, founders of B Lab that started this this whole certification process that eventually was kicked off in 2007. They were working on it before 2007, but they came up and visited us in 2009. We had been acquired by Unilever in the year 2000, and so we weren't really certain that we could become a certified B Corp, but Ben & Jerry's is actually a Vermont company. It's a Vermont corporation that now has one shareholder, which is Unilever. And so two of the founders at B Lab said, no, you can do this because you're a discrete entity that can be certified. And so then we pursued it. And what was great was Unilever in its own right is actually a very progressive company. Out of all the multinational, multi-brand companies in the world, Unilever is actually very progressive. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're jettisoning businesses that don't meet their values now. And they're a certified B Corp, aren't they? I think they just got their certification. Or am I wrong about that? Or maybe they're on their way. Unilever hasn't taken that step yet. And actually, that's something that B Lab is looking at is how to how would you actually certify the complexity of an organization that has so many businesses and so many brands around the world? But there is there is a movement to to figure out how multinationals such as Unilever could make a declaration that supports all of these principles. What Unilever's been doing though, which is uh, which is actually very intriguing, is they've been acquiring certified B Corps, such as Seventh Generation and Sir Kensington's Sundial. And, and Ben and & Jerry's. And so Unilever really sees purpose-driven businesses as a very important direction because they see a truly sustainable company as one that has purpose. And we're seeing more and more companies acknowledging this idea that to really be a successful and sustainable company, a company has to acknowledge 
purpose side, it's not just about making profits and providing jobs. It's actually how you can create benefits within the world that you exist in. And I think I find that very exciting. I I find it very encouraging. And what's interesting is you were with the company both pre-Unilever acquisition and post. And it sounds like, I mean, there's always going to be an adjustment period anytime there's an acquisition regardless, but it sounds like, and the narrative in the market is that Unilever is so inspired, as you mentioned, about the acquisition, about being so purpose-driven and having a social mission that not only is that part of their acquisition strategy, it's also part of their, their divestiture strategy at this point. They're literally divesting themselves of businesses that don't meet their new thresholds for social values. What it's done for Ben and Jerry's is it, it's really allowed us to really fulfill more of how social mission can create benefits. I, I can say as a person who's been here pre-acquisition and post-acquisition that Ben and Jerry's social mission is currently doing more now than it ever has throughout the business, which is the idea, is how to, how to get this embedded from end to end throughout the value chain. And talk a little bit about the foundation. So Ben and Jerry's Foundation donates more than a million dollars, right? Maybe even closer to two million annually to different organizations. Who who administers that and how do you determine where to deploy the funds? The foundation is its own separate 501c3 that we started back in 1985. And we have a formula of how the revenues flow from the for-profit corporation over to the foundation. The foundation is staffed by two co-directors and a senior administration person. So there's literally three people who run the foundation. However, the foundation's granting board is made up of Ben & Jerry's employees. Ben & Jerry's employees from the two main Vermont manufacturing sites where we make ice cream and the headquarters site in Vermont. So there are different seats from those three sites and they sit on the grant-making board, so the employees actually administer the grants. And the foundation is working to address grassroots solutions at the community level that deal with social and economic justice and environmental stewardship. And what the foundation was originally set up to do is to really fund those organizations that might not be funded by more conservative or traditional foundations, try to build on what Ben and Jerry, our co-founders, saw is how business can really create justice in the world. There's a thing within Ben and Jerry's that a lot of people outside the company don't know about it, and, and that's our progressive value statement. It was a statement that we wrote back in 1997. And the thing I love about this progressive value statement is it's more true today than it was when we wrote it. One of just one of the principles of this progressive value statement reads that capitalism and the wealth it produces does not create opportunity for everyone equally. And Ben and Jerry's recognizes that the gap between the rich and poor is wider than at any time since the 1920s. And that what we want to do as a company is we want to create economic opportunities for those who those opportunities and to advance new models of economic justice that are sustainable and replicable. And this is just one of the principles in our progressive value statement that we 
he wrote back in 1997, which really was prescient in terms of what's happened. You know, we have seen the concentration of wealth and power more so now than it has ever been. And what we hope, and we're very optimistic about, is that companies are adopting this concept of of true social purpose, creating social and economic benefits through their business models. You know, we're seeing it, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, with certified B Corps. And there are other companies that may not be certified B Corps that are every bit as purpose-driven and showing leadership in creating some good solutions, some great social enterprises out there. And we just hope that the people can recognize those companies and you know support them in, in the best ways they can. And these big ideas can often come from the smallest of companies, right? You have to start somewhere. Ben and Jerry's doesn't know as big as, as it is now. And I imagine the size and having Unilever behind you as well gives you a little bit more authority to be able to force more good through your supply chain, like the, the example you referenced earlier. Clearly on your own, and as you've grown, you have power, right? But to have Unilever behind you and also to be the size that you are and achieve the growth rate that you've achieved is probably helpful. Absolutely. As we've been able to grow and scale, you're going to create additional benefits. For example, buying fair trade cocoa, if you're growing, you're going to have to buy more cocoa. <laughs> and so that just creates more opportunities in these, in these global markets for those producers that we want to be able to create. Similarly, as we look in the global north where we get our dairy, uh, we get our dairy mostly from Vermont family farms in Vermont. There are a few that are over in New York State, but primarily it's, it's mostly Vermont family farmers that are uh, supplying our dairy. And we're able to with all of those resources and support from Unilever, but also from the people. We've been very lucky to attract really, really talented, smart people to Ben & Jerry's who come in with a passion, who come into the organization. I think we're seeing that a lot of people nowadays, they want to have purpose within their job. You know, you spend your best waking hours of every day at your job. And so apply your skills but also have a real sense of purpose and, and hopefully some good outcomes at the end of the day, that's, that's, a, that's a great motivator. I think one of the other things the brand has been able to accomplish is cascading these values down, even at retail. So you, I don't know how many stores you have globally. What would that number be? We only have about 600 scoop shops globally. So it's not a big footprint. But those scoop shops, you know, we have great franchisees. All of our scoop shops are franchised, except for a couple of company-owned stores that are actually here in Vermont. That number is shocking to me. It feels so much bigger. I think it's a combination of being able to go to a grocery store and see Ben and Jerry's, but also then see retail. Or maybe I just travel to areas and towns and cities where there's a lot of Ben and Jerry's, which makes me happy. I just find it interesting. So the one near me where I live is in Mount Kisco, New York, and you feel the value there, right? And so, for example, my temple did an ice cream fundraiser, and I think this is probably a very common Ben and Jerry's thing where folks from, and actually we had kids from our temple for a couple of hours one afternoon, scoop ice cream for folks. We'd charge them and then we'd split it 50-50 with Ben and Jerry's and 50% went to our cause, and then 50% went to Ben and Jerry's. I'm sure maybe at a break even, maybe even at a little bit of a loss, depending on who's ordering what. But I think that's amazing to be able to get that communal and that granular and make such an impact. 
and it's expressed in so many different ways. And we love that at the local level, our, our scoop shop owners find different ways to connect to the community and you know create those additional benefits. I mean, it's all about engagement. It's all about our relationships. That's one of the things that Ben and Jerry knew from the very beginning when they started their first little scoop shop on a street corner in Burlington, Vermont in 1978 right across City Hall Park from City Hall where Bernie Sanders won his very first elected office as mayor of Burlington. You know, it was kind of that great kind of renaissance of Burlington. You know, there was Ben and Jerry's on one street corner. There was City Hall right across the field there or the park. And they knew that they wanted to be business owners that were totally connected and engaged with the community that was supporting the business. And that started in very simple terms, this idea of that connection and that give back. And then over time, Ben and Jerry were growing the business. They realized, hey, we can, we can do a lot more powerful things. You know, we're, we're using money. We're using, you know, people's brain power and creativity and innovation. There's you know, like raw materials involved. There's like, it's really, there's a lot of power in this that if we could make decisions more intentionally that created more value for stakeholders within that economic model. Wouldn't that be a better world? And and let me give you an example of what I think is the best example of how this whole model of product mission, economic mission, and social mission works to really the best example, which is we buy brownies from the Grayston Bakery, which is in Yonkers, New York. And The Grayston Bakery was started by Bernie Glassman, who wanted to have a place where people didn't really have to have a resume. It was just open hiring. If you showed up, put your name on the list, and you were committed and reliable, Bernie was going to train you to bake and pay you to bake and give you a paycheck, and you'd be off the welfare roll, you'd be on the payroll, and you'd be, you know, empowering yourself as you move forward. So, Ben and Bernie, <laughs> they said, well, wait a minute, we could put these brownies in an ice cream. There's actually a long story about this, but I'll, I'll cut it to the quick. So we created chocolate fudge brownie. And so the, the brownies from the Grayston Bakery went into this chocolate ice cream. And so we said, hey, it's got to be good. It's got to be a great product. So there's product mission done. And if you make a great product, people are going to buy it. And that's going to put money in the till. And there's the economic mission done. Now, over time... What has happened with Grayston Bakery, because of Ben & Jerry's being a key customer of Grayston, they've been able to create over 3,500 unique jobs for people who could not get a job. That's since 1989 when we started this to, you know, now, 2019. That's 3,500 people getting jobs on the payroll, taking that money paying rent, buying food, you're circulating in the, in the economy. And that's about $70 million in payroll. And the Grayston Bakery is part of the Grayston Foundation community, which also supplies all sorts of counseling, childcare, housing to the Yonkers community in which it resides. And that's created benefits for over 19,000 families. So this is just a great example of One simple, small decision to buy a brownie from a purpose-driven social enterprise in Yonkers 
starts to create this ripple effect of benefits. And one of the things that I always like to point out is sometimes when we're out sharing the story with maybe a conservative business school, and people will in the audience say, ah, oh, you're just a bunch of crunchy granola hippies up there in Vermont, socialists, you're a bunch of socialists. I'll point out this model. I'll say, wait a minute. Chocolate fudge brownie is all about capitalism. It's all about capitalism done well. It's all about capitalism that's thoughtful and intentional. We're making money on chocolate fudge brownie, but the Grayson Bakery is also able to provide job people who could not find jobs, trains them, it empowers them, and there they are now, productive members of their community, and it just creates this incredible success story, and that's capitalism. It's a broader view of a return to all stakeholders, not just shareholders, which is different. Right, exactly. I love that example, and what I love about it the most is that that's one of hundreds, if not more than a thousand what seemed at the time maybe a micro or a smaller business decision that had huge exponential impact, right? I mean, that's massive. And I'm sure you have so many other examples like that. Well, and that's the idea. You actually pointed it out. You start small. And Ben and Jerry started small. And they said, well, okay, well, tomorrow we'll think about buying our dairy from a family farm in Vermont. And then the next year they said, well, now we want to buy from a family farm that doesn't use recombinant bovine growth hormone on their herds. And then you just keep building on how you can raise the bar in each of your business decisions that creates better outcomes. And so that's what we do. And actually, that's kind of what I do, which is just wonderful to come to work every day. And, you know, I have my special projects. And part of it is really trying to figure out, well, how can we do better in this particular initiative that we're working on now? And then over time, how can we spread those initiatives throughout the business, A to Z, from plant to freezer? So one of my first crisis assignments in the early 90s, now I'm dating myself as well, was working for the National Dairy Council, managing the issue around, I guess, bovine somatotropin, right? <laughs> and very, very familiar with that. And I remember the argument, it's like, well... We can increase milk production in cows by 5% in the U.S. And the counter-argument, which was very potent, was, well, why, why do we need to increase milk production? First of all, it's a synthetic hormone. But second, why do we have to increase milk production if, in fact, we're burning off surplus milk every year? Unless we're giving that milk away to those to help them lead healthier lives because they're hungry, that makes no sense. That was my first major crisis assignment as a young PR practitioner in Washington, D.C. It was one of those solutions to a problem that didn't exist. And in a way, it created a problem that, that right. didn't need. That's the other part of our, our company. A lot of what we've been talking about to this point is a lot of our internal programs and policies and how we express our social mission through that. But we also have a lot of external engagement in the terms of campaigns and activism that we believe express our values. And we work to engage with our Ben and Jerry's fans that share those values. And we've done things over time that will, for some people, be against their values. And they may say, you know, we can't support Ben and Jerry's anymore because we don't share that value that you're expressing in that campaign such as LGBTQ rights. But for us, we're always about walking the walk first before we're out there talking the talk. And a story about the whole LGBTQ thing, 
as the company was growing, we had a variety of people that worked at Ben and Jerry's, and some of them were people that had same-sex partners. And at one point in the late 1980s, somebody came into the human resources department. I almost said human rights department, which would be just about the right call on that one, too. We should rename human resources to human rights. Actually, I like that. That's better. Yeah. So the employee came into the office and said, hey, you know, a lot of the heterosexual partners here who are, you know, married and under the traditional ways, they can have all these benefits that I can't. And my partner and I have been together for like, you know, 10 years. We're like an old married couple. And it's just, we don't have the convention of society where we can enjoy those same benefits. And that just doesn't seem right based upon what they knew Ben and Jerry's to stand for at the time. And we said, yeah, you're right. So we were one of the first companies that actually created same-sex partner benefits. We didn't have the kind of language that we have now for that kind of thing. But we said, that's kind of a human right. That's a, a civil right. And, you know, in terms of a good ethical and moral decision, we felt to make for our business. And so the point is, is we've supported it internally for a long time. And then once it became an issue publicly, we said, we've got to have the courage to stand for our convictions and stand for our values. We knew when we came out with certain campaigns that it would, for some, be difficult to hear us take that position. And it was. And some people would say, you know what, we can't support Ben and Jerry's anymore. But others who shared those values of human rights, love who you love. This is not a bad thing. <laughs> this is a good thing. They're so much more deeply loyal to the company. And that helps to carry you through those difficult economic turns where people know that you do stand for something and it's authentic. It's not any kind of greenwashing or purpose washing or anything. It's like people can see exactly what we're all about. And that's really important. I've long felt, and hopefully I'm not jinxing it now, that Ben & Jerry's is one of the most, if not the most, unimpeachable brands out there. For the very reasons that you talked about, I can't even recall a time when there were headlines around people counter-protesting around a position that Ben & Jerry's took on something. You just don't see that. And hopefully we'll never see that. I mean, we do have people that will hold us to even higher regard. And there will be organizations that say, you need to take it even further. For example, we were the first dairy company in the U.S. to sign on to a program that goes under the, the name of Milk with Dignity, which was established by a nonprofit organization uh, by the name of Migrant Justice. Migrant Justice, for at least a couple of years, had been campaigning and you might say protesting, but really more of a kind of, I would say from their point of view, kind of their own encouragement of Ben and Jerry's to sign on to the Milk with Dignity program. Now, it took two years of a campaign, but what we kept telling people is we're working on it. We're looking at it. It was a new program. Nobody had signed up to it. We were trying to understand how it would be implemented, what the implications would be for the farmers that we work with and how they would be enrolled and how this whole thing would be rolled out. And so we knew that we supported worker-led social responsibility, which is what the Milk with Dignity program is all about. It's, it's workers designing a program with labor standards for workers, in this case, dairy. And so we did eventually get there. 
after a couple of years. We knew we would. But part of that, whenever you're stepping into these issues, social issues and economic issues, issues of justice, sometimes you have to take slow, measured steps, and that will bring criticism. And, you know, we get criticism from others, and there are other campaigns that we could do better in our agricultural supply chains. And, and certainly, there are point of views that, yeah, we share it. It's like, yep, we know we can do better. As a matter of fact, we're trying to figure that out. But we're trying to do it in a way that, again, is thoughtful, intentional, sustainable, and can help us move forward in a successful way. I think about some of the examples you used where whether it's in the 90s or the 80s, whether it is expressing your corporate principles in a way that, quite frankly, is better than even what the Business Roundtable did last month, or offering same-sex benefits to employees. What issue do you think you're standing on and working on now that, unfortunately, in some ways, might not take hold and see the light of day or it might not get surfaced for another 10 years or 15 years? I actually think we are working on programs that that are our surface that will still take us 10, 20, 30 years. Right now our priorities are on climate justice and social justice and we are working in the US so we we are all over the world now and we will have regional campaigns. In the US our campaigns are, are centered around the systemic institutionalized racism that's been going on in the U.S. since its founding. And we're trying to look at this issue, again, in very methodical, civil ways, where we can have a thoughtful, civil discussion about issues of racism and how we can have constructive methods of moving forward. In Europe, our business in Europe is looking at safe asylum and refugee resettlement. It's a bigger issue for the European region. And so our business is looking at ways to bring stakeholders together to have thoughtful conversations and to support what we think are really good policies that can bring better outcomes. Can you just describe what you mean by campaign? Do you mean social media? Do you mean marketing? Do you mean lobbying? Do you mean a campaign in the sense of changing business practices, or is it kind of all of the above? Well, it can have different elements of all of the above. Some of our campaigns might be at a, at a lower level with a kind of a turning the volume down on, on it, but then other campaigns can be full throttle where it might have a flavor associated with the campaign. And all of our social media will go to support the campaign. All of our events out in the public where we might be scooping. So we have that direct engagement might support a campaign. So right now, we're doing a lot of work on criminal justice reform in the U.S., which is one of the issues that we see as part of the systemic and institutionalized racism in in the society that we have. And the criminal justice reform campaign has a flavor called Justice Remixed. It's a flavor. It's not bad. It's It's got some good spice in it. But we'll also be showing up at different events that are important to raising the issue of criminal justice reform and some of the inequities that have been embedded in an institutionalized system. So, again, depending on the campaign, we'll have – usually we'll have like 
one high priority campaign that'll use all of our resources. But we might have some secondary and tertiary campaigns within a year that are either follow-ups from previous campaigns or just issues that we think are aligned with our whole viewpoint on climate justice and social justice and social equity. So what I think is really interesting, and maybe you haven't been asked this before, is that you have these big chocolate and confection companies who feel the need to address issues like obesity and healthy choices and things like that in their messaging or in their labeling. I don't think Ben and Jerry's goes there at all. I think you just own the fact you're an ice cream company. Ice cream's awesome. Use your best judgment in terms of moderation, whatever. But there are much bigger issues in the world that we're going to tackle that we feel are core to our mission. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly where we're at. Ice cream is kind of a discretionary treat. It's not the main course, and nor it should be. (laughs) And as a discretionary treat, you should use discretion. And, you know, that's kind of our position. Over time, we have tried to address bringing out new products that might have a variety of benefits. For example, we've come out with a non-dairy product, which is vegan. And so that really addressed, we had a lot of people who were, were asking for that you know, it created good options for people, whether they're making a a specific dietary choice or a political choice. And one thing that's really great about the, the vegan products, they're doing well. We spent years behind the scenes in the kitchen trying to make sure this stuff was going to be good because we knew that when it came out, you got one shot. And if people don't like it, they're not coming back. So we want to make sure it was good. And thankfully, you know, our team here of chefs and food scientists are great. And they came out with a great product. And so it's done really well. And that's great because the non-dairy-based products are half the carbon footprint of the dairy-based products. We know our carbon footprint and we actually have an internal fee. We have a carbon fee that we put on our, our supply chain. And we, we take that fee internally and we put it to carbon reduction initiatives. We're actually trying to reduce our carbon footprint based upon the guidance that the IPCC and all the global experts say that we need to get to by 2050. So we've got initiatives. We know that most of the carbon is on the dairy farm and there are ways to change that. You can actually, with the right technologies and farm management, you can actually make a dairy farm a carbon sink. You can inset the carbon instead of having the carbon be released. So we've got a whole plan to reduce our carbon over the decades in front of us. We have the plant-based products, which work well for people, again, for if they have different menu choices they want to make. We've also come out with some products that are lower, lower fat, a little bit lower sugar, but still, it's a discretionary dessert product. It's ice cream. So people need to use, use better judgment. So what's your favorite flavor? Mine is actually very middle of the road, but it's vanilla caramel fudge. I love it because it's everything you need in a pint. You got the vanilla, you got the caramel, you got the fudge. That's truly my favorite flavor. When I really want to go for it, though, I really like fish food. Fish food is decadent. It's my kid's favorite. But that's when I really want to just go for it. The peanut butter core one that came out, I don't know when it came out. That's always in my refrigerator or freezer rather. I just learned the tip though that instead of, I used to microwave my ice cream to get it soft, which you shouldn't do. I was told just put it in the refrigerator for 10 minutes from the freezer to refrigerator and then it'll be perfect. And that's what I've been doing. 
Is that good advice? That's professional right there. That's, that's high level. <laughs> Listen, Rob, it was awesome having you on. And for those listeners who have not followed Ben and Jerry's on Instagram, it is both poignant, impactful, but also very entertaining at times. It's one of the best managed, curated Instagram channels I've ever seen. And I love it. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. And it's just great to have you on. And next time I'm rolling through, I don't know if you're in Burlington or Waterbury, but either way, I'm going to come, I'll look you up, share a scoop. That would be great. Bring your cooler. We're waiting for you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast, and learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Mm-hmm.